The king is risen and he is alive. Church, you believe that? Yeah. Woo. Plenty to celebrate. Oh, you can have a seat. At the beginning of this year, we began a series called Quest 52. Uh, We broke that into several smaller series as we went along, but ultimately, uh, this book authored by professor, preacher, pastor, and author Mark Moore uh, has been our guide. And we jumped into Quest 52, which is a daily devotional uh, focused on the life, the ministry of Jesus. And we jumped into that, not just so we could be Bible smart about Jesus, but we have been doing this this year so that we could actually get to know Jesus better, to have a closer relationship with him, to know him more intimately as friend, as redeemer, as savior, as king. And I hope it's been a good year for you as we've done that. I hope this has been a good study for you. I've heard lots of good things from several of our small groups who've done this. Um, But here we are. It's the last day of the year. It's the last Sunday of the year. And so we are ready for the last sermon of the year on this book. And we've got something special for you, but it's a different kind of special. (laughs) Um, it was my hope to get pastor and author Mark Moore to come and preach his message to us in person. But his schedule is pretty robust, and I was not able to secure him on our teaching schedule this year. But a few months back, one of my buddies here in town had Mark preaching at his church. And even though he was preaching in a different series... He still preached what is his final message from this series, and he preached it in that series. And so I talked to Mark, I talked to my buddy, and I said, hey, can we just borrow that message? Because I could steal your sermon, but it's going to be better for them to hear from you. And they both said, yeah, that's an awesome idea. So we're going to actually watch a video of Mark Moore preaching today. And some of you right now are like, wait, hold on, a video, but, 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 here's the deal. Whenever we do the at the movies, you see that anyway. And some of you, you like that. I don't know if it's because you like the movie. You just know that, hey, Fitz is locked into an already defined time frame. And he's not going to ramble on long. And so we're going to get out of church on time. Maybe that's why you like that. Some of you, I notice that every time I'm up here and I'm speaking and I make it to a different part of the platform, some of you are all like leaning around me like, hey, Fitz, can you get out of my way? Because I'm trying to see you on the big screen and you're kind of in my way right now. We're, we're accustomed to looking at the screen. Most of you follow the screen each week anyway. And I want you to know this is a one-time thing. This is not going to become an every week normal thing for us, uh, of having a preacher only on the screen. But, want to invite you to hear from Mark Moore today on what is the final message of Quest 52. Now, you're going to hear him set that up as a different message in a different series for a different church. But, know this. Everything he says to that church, is not isolated to that church. It's a kingdom message. And that church is not a church in competition with us. That's a church we are good friends with. And we share the kingdom mission and the kingdom message. And we are all about helping people get to know our King Jesus. And so uh, listen in, lean in. I encourage you to take notes. Mark's got a great message for us. Let's roll. Have you ever noticed that when we start talking about end times, people can just get weird? And maybe you've seen something on TV or read a book or a neighbor said, ah, sky's falling. People get weird around the topic. So if this is your first time 
to one of our campuses, or maybe you're watching online, I'm going to try not to get weird, no promises, but I'm going to try not to, okay? We are talking about the end of time. So if you're airdropping in, this is week three of five, just want to let you know the very first week, a couple weeks ago, Kyle preached really the most important message of the whole series, and is the title of the series, Keep Watch. That's basically all you really need to know. Now, Carl, last week added to it, if you're going to keep watch, what do you keep watch for? And he went through some of the signs of the times, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, like when have we not had those things? My job today, my assignment is to talk about when will the rapture take place in the tribulation? Oh, goody. Now, I'm certain that all of you coming to church today were just wondering if I could just know when the rapture would take place in the tribulation, my life would be so much better. Said no one ever. But the promise of the rapture actually will make your life get better. And before I get into that, I, I just I just want to tell you that some of you are thinking rapture, I don't even know what that is. You're the normal one. Because the word rapture isn't even in the Bible. Do you know that? In fact, there's only one passage that even talks about this concept from which we get the word rapture. And some of you are like super excited to talk about this because you're all into it and everything. Good for you. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the loud voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So everyone who died, uh, they're Christians, they'll be raised up, get a new body, and meet the Lord in the air. Super cool. Then the rest of us, it says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up, that's the word, caught up, with them together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be, we'll be with the Lord forever. That term caught up, it's an interesting Greek word. You want to learn it? Seriously? It is kind of fun. It's the word harpazo. You can say that to your neighbor, harpazo. Uh, We get the English word harpoon from it, which kind of makes sense. You throw a harpoon in the water, you you know, get the fish or whatever you're getting and you, you snatch it up. It's the word to be yanked up. It was used in the New Testament when thieves went into someone's house and just kind of pilfered something. They, they, they snatched it. It's also used for rescue. When, when people are behind enemy lines and you go in and you snatch them up, you rescue them. That was how it was used of the Apostle Paul, Acts 23. <laughs> he's, he's talking to the Sanhedrin again and creating a riot again. And they start playing tug of war with his body. And they're literally going to tear him limb from limb. And the Roman soldiers came in and snatched him away. And here's the promise. And this is what will make your life better if you cling to this promise. That before you hit the mat, Jesus is going to lift you into the air. We can have confidence because of this promise of scripture that before everything goes kaboom, he is going to raise us up and rescue us out of this world. Now, the question is, when? Because there's this, you probably heard of it, the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period before Jesus returns. Things are going to get really bad all over the world. The great tribulation. Do, 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 do. 
So when does the, when does the rapture happen? Is it before the tribulation begins? He plucks us out before we have to go through the bad suffering. Or is it at the end after everyone suffers? We live in a world, we suffer like anybody else in the world. Or some theologians, like theologians will argue about anything. Maybe it's right in the middle. Because the tribulation, Daniel 7 as well as Revelation 13, tribulation is divided in three and a half years, three and a half years. The first are bad, the last are worse. So maybe maybe we have to go through some of the suffering, but he, he plucks us out in the middle of it so we don't have to go through the worst of it. So which is the right opinion? Some of you care uh, way too much. But if I were to argue for before, before, I would turn to uh, Revelation chapter 13. And, and here it says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Did you see that? See, see? He's going to keep us from the suffering. Here's, here's the problem. That verse could just as easily be translated that Jesus will sustain us through the suffering as pluck us from the suffering. And, and actually, that it kind of makes sense to me that we go through suffering because I haven't seen Jesus pluck the church out of suffering for 2,000 years. I mean, Christians suffered persecution, burned at the stake, heads chopped off. I mean, Christians have always been through suffering. When there's an earthquake... God doesn't pluck Christians out of the earthquake or tornado or fire. We suffer in the world when we're in the world. In fact, some of the suffering is pretty personal. Right now in the church where I serve, a friend of mine, he lives right around the corner from me. He's going through it bad. He's a fire captain, got a couple of boys, 13 and 11, his wife, when, when they take a, a Christmas photo, it's like a Hallmark postcard. They're one of those people, hate them. And, and, and Ashley, his wife, uh, I worked with her for over 10 years at the church. She was a powerful woman. And one of those people that just, you don't know how she gets everything done she does. She's just a beast. But mental illness got the better of her last year. She had to quit because she was just paralyzed. I mean, could not do her job. And in the darkest part of her mental struggles, uh, she couldn't even get out of bed. So here, Jeff is a full-time job and, and taking care of two boys. He's Mr. Mom, doing the shopping, the cleaning, the cooking, all of it. And in August, he had taken the boys to school, came home, and his wife, still in bed, said, hey, can you pick some things up from Costco? So he did. And when he came home, she had gotten out of bed he found her in the closet. She had taken her life. So now he's a 42-year-old widow, widower, raising two uh, two boys, teen and preteen. I don't know if tribulation gets more difficult than that. Some of you right here sitting on one of the campus or watching online, you've had to bury a child. It doesn't get worse than that. Or your diagnosis says that your health will continue to deteriorate. And it, I don't know how it gets worse than that. You're single again and you just feel so alone and so ashamed and so betrayed. It's tribulation. 
I don't know what the great tribulation will look like all over the world, but I know what tribulation looks like in your life. And Jesus hasn't rescued us from it. So I have a hard time like getting on board with this idea that we'll be plucked before. Now look, I, I know it gets confusing. Whenever you're interpreting prophecy, it gets confusing. And you know why. Think about when, when Jesus came to the earth for the first time. We had these prophecies that said, this is what Messiah is going to look like. And one rabbi said, yeah, the Messiah is going to look like this. And another rabbi said, no, he's going to look like this. And the third one, no, this. Everybody had their own opinion. And they were all wrong. And when Messiah came, we looked at the Old Testament and go, oh, that makes sense. We couldn't see the specifics before it happened, but once it happened, it, it all fell into place. And my suspicion is, at the end of time, it'll be somewhat like that. When Jesus comes again, it'll be just like when he came the first time. Everyone on the left side of Revelation is like, well, it's going to be like this. No, it's going to be like that. No, it's going to be like that. We argue and debate, and I think maybe everyone will be wrong. My fear is that some knucklehead's going to actually be right going to accidentally guess it correctly and when we're raptured he will say I told you so oh that was for me not for you you're welcome so if if Jesus isn't coming before the tribulation maybe he's coming in the middle of the tribulation and there's actually a proof text for that you want to hear it revelation chapter 7 verse 14 he said these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. There it is. They were believers. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So there are Christians in Revelation 7 who went through part of the great tribulation. You could add to that Matthew chapter 24. In verse 21, for then there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. See? See, he's going to come in the middle of the tribulation. Except, by the time we read verse 29, it looks like it's actually at the end. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So it looks to me like he's not coming in the middle of the tribulation. It looks like Christians will be raptured after the tribulation. You could add to that verse 13. Whoever stands firm to the end will be saved. See, see, it's after the tribulation. And in the second part of the tribulation, that's when we get the dragon, the beast, and the harlot. Ooh. And, and, and who does the beast? There's two, two beasts, actually. One from the land, one from the sea. It looks to me like the beast of the land is pagan government. Beast of the sea is uh, false religion. They work together to deceive God's people. And who do the beasts attack? We're told in Revelation 13, it was given, that's the beast, was given power to make war against who? God's people. And to conquer them, and it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So see, the proof that the rapture is going to be after the tribulation. Except, there's a little problem. What happens 
after the rapture? Well, Jesus reigns for a thousand years on earth. So we're raptured. And then we reign with him. Great ride. But why? I mean, we raptured up in the air and then come back down to the earth. What, what is the point of that? I don't get it. And here, here's another kind of issue I have with that is Christy. You don't know Christy. She, she goes to our church. Um, she just shared her story with our church a couple weeks ago. And it is dark. As a little girl, she was abused in the worst possible ways. And, and we don't really know if her parents knew and just didn't want to say anything to protect the reputation of the family or if they really didn't know because they weren't paying attention. But it was a Christian home. She was abused. And because of the abuse, she began to act out. In middle school, her own admission, she says, I let boys do things to me just so that I would feel wanted by anyone. And you know that always backfires. And she just felt so abused and used and worthless. She was a beautiful young woman. And sometimes that's very dangerous. So when she was in high school, a couple of her friends, the boys, had gone off to college and they invited her to a college party. I mean, that's the kind of thing a high school girl loves. And she went to the party and the very friends who invited her raped her at the party. And she just began to spin out after that and drugs and bad behavior. She hooked up with an older man who was kind to her until he wasn't. And he began to traffic her with his friends. Part of Christie's story is she had a miraculous birth. But by all medical accounts, she should have died at birth. But she didn't. God, God spared her. And so all her life, she kept saying, God, why? Why Why would you spare my life if all you're going to do is let me suffer like this? What is the point of a life with this much trauma and suffering? Why would God say he loves us and not rescue us from the trial that we're going through? See, that's a problem I have with the, with the rapture at the end of the tribulation. He says he loves us. Why, why, don't you, why don't you rescue us? The Bible simply is not clear about the timing of the event. And one thing I've noticed in studying the Bible is that God is always clear about what God cares about. If God is not clear about it, maybe you care about it more than him. And I suspect that the problem with the lack of clarity is not that God is unclear, but that we're asking the wrong questions. Because God is always clear about what he cares about. So when we ask the right question, it becomes crystal clear. And Christy found the right question. The right question is not why, God, why did you spare my life to suffer? That's not the right question. Because I could ask you, answer your why question right now. Why cancer? Why do you not know where your child is? Why did they leave you again? I could answer that question. It wouldn't heal your heart. We ask the question, when? When is it going to take place? Would that really change your behavior if you knew the when? No, the question that matters is not why, it is not when, it is who? Who 
suffered before you were ever born for you. That is Jesus. Who, who is walking with you right now in the depths of your trauma? Who? That is Jesus. Who is the one that can rapture you from this earth so that before you hit the mat, he will raise you to the skies? That is Jesus. Who is the one that can strengthen you to bear up under the weight that feels so overwhelming and oppressive? That is Jesus. And if you get the who right, the how falls into place. And Christy found her how. Because she found her who. I wish you could have been there when she shared her story. It was so powerful because she was surrounded by a gaggle of women that she is now rescuing from the very trauma that she went through. Your deepest pit may be your highest platform if you figure out the who beyond the why and the when. You don't know when it's going to be over. You don't know how long it's going to last. You don't know why you're going through it. But if you know the who, you can stand up under it. So everything I want to say in this message comes down to a single sentence. Hold on to hope. Because if you hold on to hope, you will be virtually invincible in this world. And I'm fitting to preach here right now. I got a soapbox. You can't see it, but I'm going to step right on top of it. Here's my soapbox. I am mortified, disgusted, perturbed by our culture perpetuating and praising weakness over strength. We are training people to be victims, not empowering them to be victors. Now look, I I get it. A lot of people have been victimized. That's a real thing. And I don't want to minimize it. And I, trust me, I understand the impulse of compassion is good and godly. But Jesus didn't take a victim and let them wallow in their victimhood. He gave them the power through the spirit to be victors over the victim. (laughs) We need to hang on to the hope that we have in the Bible. And one of the most powerful promises God ever gave us is I'm going to rapture you when I don't know. Frankly, I don't care. Some of you care a lot. Good on you. Some of you go, no, pastor, I like, I figured it out. I'm sure you're smarter than the rest of us. Good for you. I have no problem with doing a Bible study. Look, I'm a bona fide Bible geek. I've done the study as well, but it doesn't heal anybody. What you need right now today is to hang on to the hope of the rapture that before you hit the mat, He's going to raise you to the skies. Hang on, cling to scripture because the promises in this book will make you powerful in this world. A second thing we need to do is to embrace the bride because this book isn't saving anyone. Now it points to the one who will save. It points to the who, but it's the who that saves. So we need to hang on to Jesus. The problem is he's a long way away. You can't really get your arms around him right here, right now, can you? Except that he calls the local church the body of Christ. This is as close as you will come to hugging Jesus. And I just want to say to you online, we, we are really glad that you've dropped in. And we want you to keep doing that. 
But, but I would say to you online, and look, I, I get it. The online community is kind of, it's kind of like a front porch. You can go to the front porch and look in the screen door to see how weird the people really are in the living room. Trust me, we're, we're as weird as you are. And I want to make you this promise. In this church, ain't nobody going to point a finger at you. The only person we point a finger at is Jesus. We want to point you to him. Now, for, for those of you who are on one of our campuses, I got a word for you too, because most of us on a campus, in a room right now, most of us attend statistically 1.4 times a month. That is not embracing the bride. And that's not going to give you the power and the community that you need to hang on to hope in the most difficult seasons of your life. You need a community that you can walk with and live with and be connected to. So when it hits, you will have the strength and the armament around you to bear up. Cling to Jesus by embracing the bride. And the last thing I want to tell you is you need to grow in grit. No more of this weakness talk. Not for us. We are Southeast Christian Church. We don't back down in the face of opposition. We don't run away from difficulties. We face it head on. And I love it when science finally catches up to scripture. We are learning just how to gain grit. And how resilient we can actually be. And we're learning it, oddly, from Navy SEALs. I don't know if you know about the slogan of the Navy SEALs. You know what this is? They say, embrace the suck. Because it sucks. Their hell week is hell week for a reason. They beat you down and beat you up. And they push you to the very limits of your physical capacity. But at any time during the week, day one to day seven, you can ring the bell. You can tap out. Now, you won't be a Navy SEAL. But you don't have to do this. You don't have to embrace the suffering anymore if you don't want to. You can ring the bell. And so they've tracked all of these. These are tough people. Men and women are going, no, I want to be a Navy SEAL. I'm going to give it all I got. These are tough people. When they tap out, they have begun to measure how much they have actually given of their full physical potential. Your brain will tell you, we're done. But your brain is a liar. Your body has more. Your spirit has more. Your soul has more. You want to know how much more? Because we now actually know the number. is When people tap out, when they ring the bell, have they given 50%? 75%? 95%? It's actually 40%. You're tougher than you think you are. And that's just Navy SEALs. We're not even talking about spirit-filled Christians. You have more to give. You have more in the tank. And if you can hang on to the promises of scripture, if you can embrace the bride, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You can go further, longer, harder than you ever imagined. You can endure more. Now, I know that some of you have been badly abused, and I'm so sorry for that. But your abuse should never be an excuse. Your pit can become a platform that you can stand on and give glory to the God who suffered with you through it all and empowers you to embrace others. 
probably wondered about my shirt. <laughs> Phil gave me this shirt. He's, he's a dear friend of mine. Phil is a shooting coach for the NBA. And he, he trains all kinds of, uh, of shooters. He's very well known. And one of his clients is Damian Lillard. And Damian, who, I mean, he's nearly a perfect player. Damian needed to improve a little bit in his footwork. So who do you take an NBA player to to improve their footwork? Well, he flew Damien to L.A. to meet with a world-renowned boxing coach. Because they, they mastered in footwork. This old dude had trained some of the baddest fighters in the world. He's legend. And the old guy, Krusty, was wearing a shirt that said, pray for the bear. And Phil said, man, I, I just got to ask you, what, what does that shirt mean? And the old dude said... If I get in a fight with a bear, that's how every Christian at Southeast Christian Church should live their life. If I get in a fight with the devil, he better run. It's not that I'm so bad, but I, greater is he who is in me who is in the world. And when we face the dragon, the beast, and the harlot, it is the beast that better run. It is the dragon that better cower. It is the harlot that better hide herself because we're coming. And we're coming as a church and the body of Christ filled with his power. You can clap for that. What are you backing down from right now? Rich Froning is a four-time world champion, fittest man of the world, CrossFit. Maybe you've heard of him. He's got a farm out in Tennessee. His farm is called Froning Farms. And you know what he raises on the farm? Bison. And he chose bison deliberately because it matches his, his theme in life. His theme is called Into the Storm. Bison are the only mammals in North America that when a storm hits... They face it and they walk into it because they know that into the storm is the fastest way through the storm. Some of you have a storm brewing right now and you've turned your back on it. That's not who you are. It's not who we are as a church. You got a marriage and the thunder's rolling and the lightning's striking. Face your storm. Because you can recover your marriage. If you put your faith in Jesus. And if you both kneel before him. You can allow your marriage to represent the body and bride of Christ. Don't walk away from it. It is too important. Don't let the culture tell you you're weak. You are not a victim. You are a victor. And you can turn the tide for God. Some of you are facing it. A difficulty at work. You have someone there that desperately needs to know the truth of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel, but you have turned your back because you're afraid of what they'll think, of what they'll say. That is not who we are. We are the people of God. You better pray for the bear, not me. Because I'm going to allow Jesus to turn my pit into a platform and I'm going to speak for him regardless of the consequence. Because that's what we do. 
Some of you are facing an uphill battle with kids, maybe with a neighbor. Maybe it's a legal battle or a financial struggle. We don't back down. We will cling to scriptures. We will embrace the bride because we hang on to hope and our hope is secure because we have a promise that before we ever hit the mat, he will raise us to the heavens. Holy Father, give us the boldness and the courage that comes from your Holy Spirit. There's some giants that need to fall. We've been turning our back and walking away. It's time that we put our shoulders back and our chest out, eyes forward, and face with the confidence that you give us, the challenges that are ahead of us. None of us know what the great tribulation will be like, but we know what this tribulation is like. And we claim as a church right now the promise that we will be victors, not victims. And before we ever hit the mat, we praise you that you will raise us up from this earth. We claim this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah. A good message to end the year on, a good message to begin the new year with, right? Pray for the bear. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Church, that's who we are. Remember, the kingdom promise he spoke at that church is true for us. If your hope, your faith, your allegiance is in Jesus, then all that he said is true of you. So pray for the bear and let's go get him in 24, right? Well, next week we launch into a 